Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. At the end of Matthew chapter 19, Peter has seen a promise of reward from Christ for those who give up things they possess in order to gain the things that Christ possesses. Peter says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus is kind to Peter and basically says to Peter, Peter, you can't outgive me. You will receive 100-fold what you have left in this life, and you will reign with me in my kingdom. Yet right after this, Christ tells the parable of workers who go out to serve in a master's vineyard. And those who go out early in the day arrange with the master for a specific payment. And at the end of the day, they're paid the amount that they arranged to receive. But those who went out at the end of the day, at the very last hour, received the same payment as the first workers. And the first workers, well, they grumble against the owner of the vineyard. And right there, Jesus is warning his disciples about calculating payment for their service of him. The faith that believed a reward was coming would be honored. But that faith could turn into a desire for a payment that they demanded. And that desire would leave them grumbling against the one they served. It's all good things. It's, it's all great. But can I just suggest to you sometimes that it's possible that the visions you have for how you will live for God and serve God and how God will use you the very vision that got you started in the work were actually bargains that you were striking with God. God, if you'll let me do this, if you'll let me accomplish that, God, if I could just serve you there, God, if I could just affect that kind of result, I'll serve you. I'll give my life to you. I'll go into the vineyard for you. And well, I think how wise the Lord is at times because he has so many different things that he wants to teach us and has to teach us, and he doesn't demand that we get everything straight before we go into service. He lets us go into the service with notions and ideas that are not entirely pure or true. You know, there is a story in the history of the church where there was a time when there was a great movement of missionaries going to China, and they were so certain that God had called them to China that they didn't even bother learning the language. They believed that God would just pour upon them a unique charismatic expression. This is back in the early 1800s, the ability to pick up the language, and they would just get there, and they would be able to speak Chinese. Well, they got over there and found out it wasn't so easy, that God didn't give them the gift, and they had to learn it, but they were there. God allowed the impression, in a sense, to get them there, and then he taught them a lesson. No, that's not the way it's going to work here. You're going to have to labor, and you're going to have to work, and you're going to have to, and, and they saw in their mind the great vision of the masses turning to the gospel that they preached, and they got there and found out that the Masses weren't ready to turn and that they weren't just languishing to hear the message of the gospel, that they were instead, as some of them found out, monsters of iniquity who loved their sins and wanted to remain in it. They realized later that the real reason they went there was not to pursue a vision or a dream, but it was to be obedient to the great work of our Savior in suffering and dying for those individuals. But it's possible that our visions and our ideas can be bargains that we strike with God. How often our vision of ministry at the start is itself a bargain that we strike with God for our labor. 
And when you bargain with God for an outcome, you end up becoming overly fixated on your contributions to the cause. This is one of the great dangers in ministry. Ministers don't go to bed counting sheep at night. They count up the hours of their service instead. They go to bed and they consider all the things that they've done. They keep a log of those they've served and helped and sought to enable and touched. They end up at times turning their minds from the people they pray for. They do that, but then they keep a log of everyone they prayed for. And Let me just say that you cannot have your eyes on the Lord Jesus and you cannot direct others to put their eyes of faith on the Lord Jesus when you have your eye on yourself and your service and your labor for the Lord Jesus. You can't do it. You cannot guide others to Christ effectively when you're counting up your own acts of worship and service. And that's something that's happened to these individuals. Here's a second thing. Not only are they keeping account of their own work, but this caused them to keep account of the works of others. They began to make comparisons of what other individuals were doing, not so that they could be more effective in their own labor, but so that they could tabulate what they should get in comparison to others. There was a growing sense of entitlement in the thing that was theirs to do only by the mercy and grace of God. That they should do it at all was God's mercy and God's grace. How dangerous it is to take the measure of what others are doing in order to project a value on what you are doing or what I am doing. Our review of ministry that God has called us to should be only to explore greater ways to be faithful to the unique opportunities that He's given us. But if it is to compare or contrast ourselves with others, we quickly move from giving God glory in our acts of simple faith to tabulating and calculating the significance of our own contribution to the cause. And that's not a faith. It's wrong. This should be practical to you because you have been called to the work. You have been called to the vineyard. It's God's call upon all of our lives. These are gentle and wonderful warnings that the Lord Jesus gives not only to Peter, but he gives to me. He gives to you. Third, I want you to notice where this leads. When they began paying attention to their work and the measure of their work based upon the bargain they'd set with God, the vision that they wanted to receive at the end of the day, when they began to calculate their work as such an extent they began to calculate the works of others, well, they murmured and were displeased when they got their agreed-upon pay. They get what they had agreed upon. Actually, I've noticed something. If a promise of some pay is what gets a person into Christ's service at some point, that pay will not be enough. If what gets you into God's service is, Lord, I'll serve you, but if you'll just provide me this, if you'll just give me this, Lord, I'll serve you, but the one thing I want is just give me a comfortable house to live in. Of course he was going to give you a comfortable house to live in. You didn't even have to make that request. He let you make it with a wink of the eye. All right, a denarii a day. But if that's what you were bargaining for, when you get what you bargained for, you'll find that it won't be enough. It won't satisfy you. It won't answer your need. I've had a missionary many years ago tell me the challenge they have in ministry is they'll have individuals come and say, you know, the progress of the gospel in many of these places is 
you know, we would serve the Lord, but I can't really serve the Lord and go and minister to people around my community because I'm barefoot and I don't have shoes to wear. So you get the man a pair of shoes so he can go around and do his ministry. It lasts for a little while, and then he ceases doing his ministry. He says, well, I really can't continue to do this because, you know, all I have are shoes to wear, and I really need a bicycle. So you get the man a bicycle, and he serves the Lord for a while with his bicycle, and then he starts looking around to see what other people have, and he says, you know, I really would continue to serve the Lord and be faithful in this ministry that God has given me, but, you know, everybody else has a motorcycle, and all I've got is an old bicycle. The bicycle ends up, gets a motorcycle, and then he needs a car, and then he needs a van, and you get the picture. If that's what is the bargain you strike for serving God, if that's what's required and necessitated in your service of Him, well, you'll always find yourself on the short end of the stick, even when He gives you what you ask for. The point here is you can't outgive God. He's going to provide you more than you think, but if you say to God, just give me this, just hand me this, you might be disappointed that's all He gives you. And you'll come up short. The fourth thing here is they were jealous at the good treatment of others and of the reward given to them. How selfish we are proven to be in our motivations in ministry when others are recognized and at that moment we feel underappreciated and undervalued. Don't you know that every payment of, that God gives us in serving Him is but a small token expression of the overabounding grace that He's already poured out upon us and that He's yet to pour upon us in glory? That the service itself was an act of grace? That the honor was not the honor that you received from men, not the honor you receive in any recognition, but the honor that was waiting for you from our Savior when one day He would say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Our honor is not in the reward, but in the call itself. The very call to serve Him. Paul speaks of this grace that the Lord Jesus gave to him as something that actively produced ministry in his life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9-11, through 11, Paul says this of himself, For I am the least of the apostles who is not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. What Paul is saying is that all this service was poured out, not of himself or of his own ability or of his own great sacrifice, but that it was simply the outpouring of the unmerited grace that God had poured on his life. And he just followed the flow of mercy and grace. It was sufficient. The fifth thing you'll see here is, worst of all, they developed the feeling that the one who had brought them into labor in the first place had been unjust, that he had been unfair. A person goes into ministry driven by the ideals and visions of doing great things for God and reaping great rewards in his servant. Like Peter, they might have faith to expect reward, but sadly, like Peter, they begin to calculate what they offer as gaining reward for themselves. And well, things don't seem to add up over time. The ministries turn hard and difficult, and they bear the heat of the day and the work with little relief when others seem to come along late in the game, and although they might be faithful to whatever it is that they've been given to do, they have far less skills or abilities or less knowledge than these who have been here all along and have worked so hard and they begin to become jealous. They begin to become disillusioned. 
I think a disillusioned Christian worker has to ultimately confess that at the very heart of the disillusionment is this sadness and believing that somehow God hasn't compensated them adequately for the work that they've given to him. I believe ultimately that has to be the case. Because if we knew that the work that God gave us was always out of the expression of his mercy and grace and undeserving in every way, what reward would we seek? Other than the joy of serving him regardless of the outcome. What more would we seek than the willingness to be poured out as a drink offering day in and day out? They'd complain because the ministry didn't meet their expectations, their calculation of the worth of their contribution. Peter, do you see how selfish that would become if you continued to go on and project yourself in ministry based upon this calculation? Peter, if you didn't understand that the first will be last and the last will be first and it's all of grace from beginning to end. So what's the cure to this attitude, this trap that we can find ourselves falling into of taking our competent faith in God and in His reward of all that we do for Him and letting it somehow slip and turn into a calculation of our own personal benefits. Well, here's the way to answer this. The first is this. We must come back to the original response of our Lord Jesus to Peter's question. Peter, you cannot outgive God. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. If you'd like a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208 208- 331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.